in the world of sport that tickles your fancy. But in this week's episode, we're looking at not just cycling, we're looking at a particular race. It's our Tour of Flanders special edition. The Tour of Flanders is one of the uh, top five monuments in the world uh, uh, of cycling, and uh, this is the second of those five, the first one being Milan-San Remo. But with me on the line from uh, the US is is Aaron, who's just as pumped about the Tour of Flanders, and there's been a lot of other action that's been happening in the last couple of weeks as well, hasn't there, Aaron? Some good, but some not so good. No, you're exactly right, Rube, and it's, it's great to be on the show, uh, unfortunately, under what has been a, a very sorrowful uh, seven days here, past week in, in the world of pro cycling. Yeah, well, we'll be talking about a bit more about that in, uh, in you know uh, later on in the show. Well, actually, probably very early on the show after our first little piece of music, because uh, you know we are talking about the uh, the deaths in Belgium of two cyclists, uh, which came just you know within days after the uh, the, the uh, terrorist uh, uh, bombings that went on in Brussels as well. So uh, with this weekend, with the world of cycling looking towards Flanders, um, you know, in the heartland of of cycling is there, and just kilometres away was Brussels about a 45-minute drive where uh, they're still coming to terms with all the uh, the, uh, the tragic uh, fallout of the of the bombings in Brussels. But um, also, there's going to be a lot of interesting stuff in this week's show, though. We're, uh, we're going to be having an interview as our special guest interview is uh, a Belgian and a guy who does love his classics, Hedrick Redant, who's the general manager slash director sportif of the United Healthcare uh, Pro Cycling Team in the US. Uh, we're going to talk to you know Hendrik about... What's it like being a Belgian? What makes the Belgian classic so special? And later on the show, we're also going to talk about his uh, United Healthcare team and how they're sort of steering towards their uh, uh, upcoming races in the US, which I know, Aaron, you're going to be there in a couple of those races, the Joe Martin uh, stage race. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how the United Healthcare go there. So we're going to talk to Hendrik about all that. And, um, of course, we're going to talk about the very first of the uh, the classics, Milan-San Remo, and some of the races since then, which are going to act as a bit of a form guide to what we may be able to expect on Sunday in the Tour of Flanders. Aaron, uh, just a quick little uh, uh, brief about how, how your last couple of days or the last week has been since uh, we've spoken to you and, and how are you feeling about Flanders? Well, I'm very excited about Flanders. I think more so because obviously we're looking at what, what is assured to be the final matchup between two of the races and the sport's greatest in Tom Boonen and Fabian Cancellara route. Yeah, that will be an interesting matchup. I mean, uh, you know, you've, uh, you know, unfortunately, Tom Boonen's had had to deal with a lot of injuries in recent years, but uh, you know, uh, Cancellara seems to be in very good form, and uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how how Boonen uh, can sort of uh, uh, step up to the challenge. I mean, uh, there's a lot of pressure on Boonen. You know, he's won this race before, so it's, you know, and uh, and there's a lot of pressure on a Belgian to be, to uh, and to match the expectations that will be in him. Of course, you're, you're mentioning the, the most recent uh, crash and, and ill effects from a crash uh, back in at Abu Dhabi last year, I believe. But of course, Gregor Brown wrote a nice little piece in Velo News earlier this week talking about Bonin not being what he used to be. 
Yeah, that's interesting, you know, because, uh, you know, you only need to lose that little extra or 1% of uh, whether it's desire or form or ability, um, you know, for whatever circumstances are, and and that converts into uh, what can convert into uh, a major difference come race time. But uh, hopefully, uh, you know, I hope Tom Boonen has a great race. I'm looking forward to seeing Cancellara also uh, see what he can do as well. I mean, it's the Tour of Flanders. It's my it's my favourite classic of the monuments. Um, you know, I set it apart from Paris-Roubaix. I know Paris-Roubaix is very popular around the world, and that's coming up next week. But uh, for me, the Tour of Flanders is really special um, because of the uh, the type of course it is with the bergs, those hills. It's got cobblestones. It's got the crosswinds. It's you know, and 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 just the the mood of the Belgian people uh, when they get behind the Tour of Flanders. It's it's it is something different than Paris-Roubaix, and it's, I'll have to try and come to. T- Find the words during the show to, to actually sort of identify what that is. But there is a mood or ambience of the Tour of Flanders which sets it apart. And, um, you know, whereas Paris-Roubaix is sort of like the, the crazy circus. It's a bit like what the Tour de France is to Grand Tour racing. You know, the Tour de France is special for its own reasons, uh, and so is Paris-Roubaix. But the Tour of Flanders, you're going to such a, a heartland of, of, uh, of cycling and, uh, and Belgium, which is uh, just obviously recent least you know dealing with tragedy but also historically it's uh, dealt with so much tragedy with with world wars and all that but uh, we won't get too somber and melancholy right now Aaron hey mate do you reckon you can just sort of dip into your uh, your LP player collection and just find us a nice bit of uh, maybe a bit of music to sort of maybe uplift the mood we've got a good show coming up and I think we should get into gear into some classic gear so you just uh, look into your little uh, collection there and come up with something nice for us
Guinness and Aaron S. Lee. A nice little selection there, Aaron, of music, uh, fitting for the occasion of what... This edition of What a Ride is the Tour of Flanders Special Edition. The Tour of Flanders is the second of the top five monuments in world cycling, and it's on Sunday. And uh, as we are saying, Aaron, you know, we won't, won't labour too much on the on the, uh, uh, the the tragedy that sort of... It's, well, not sort of, it definitely has struck Belgium in the last uh, week or so with the bombings in, in Brussels, where I actually lived there for four years myself. And uh, got a lot of friends there, and obviously the um, the, uh, the the deaths of or oh, the deaths, unfortunately, have to use the plural word of two Belgian riders, Antoine Demotier and Dan Minyango. Uh, different circumstances, Antoine Demotier, uh, you know, uh, succumbed to injuries after being struck by a, a motorbike in the race of Ghent Wevelgem, and Dan Minyango, he uh, died of a uh, heart attack sustained uh, after he stopped. During the Criterium International race in France, and um, uh, his uh, life support system was taken off when he was in hospital. Obviously, Aaron, I don't know how. I guess you, your emotions have been running high uh, when you sort of follow that news. And we, we are, we, you know, we're not in Belgium. You're in the States. I'm in Australia. But it's still, uh, if you're a lover of cycling and a lover of Belgium, you can't help but uh, be sort of. Uh, you know, it, it does affect us all, doesn't it? Well, it does, Rip. You mentioned that how you know your your past connections as far as living in Europe and living in Belgium, and and obviously um, you, you can't be in this sport and cover this sport as a journalist or being involved in the sport as a cyclist or a uh, you know a domestic or a, I mean or a soigneur or anyone involved in the sport, an official, and not have some sort of connection to the to the European races and the Europeans alone. Obviously, we know a lot of people who live in Belgium now that you that airport uh, not just uh, not just for transport to these races through the spring classics but use that airport to call home as well uh, several people obviously I'm sure like you uh, was glued to social media and the Twitter trying to find updates from any of the people that we do come across and that we do know and have great solid relationships with in the business our colleagues to make sure that they were indeed okay uh, you did mention I think that the death toll now 35 uh, is an absolute tragedy, but even more so than uh, just a few days later it, uh, with, the, with the deaths of Antoine and Dan. Dan just being, I think, 22 years old, uh, and neo-pro, and then, um, well, actually, a pro-continental uh, rider, but uh, with uh, Roubaix Little uh, Metropole, and then, of course, uh, Antoine being just 25 years old with the Wanty Group. A colleague of mine over at Eurosport, Jose Bean, she's, uh, she's the media officer for Wanty Group, so my heart goes out to her, because obviously her job was was very taxing this week for sure. Yeah, I was, I was in touch with uh, with uh, Jose and uh, I just sort of uh, sent her a note, a private note, just saying how well I thought she uh, handled the situation. Uh, bearing in mind she would have been suffering as well at, at the same time, she's had to sort of uh, uh, be the the, um, the the center point for um, uh, for media calls and all that. And 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 we saw when the story broke um, of how uh, <clears throat> excuse me of how quickly uh, you know social media was to, um, I guess it's people on social media trying to find out what's happened, people say things not always correctly uh, the, the misinformation does go out there very quickly as we know Aaron and uh, um, I thought it was, would have been an awfully hard situation for anybody to be able to handle that and I just thought the team uh, from Jose and also to the rest of the team, Wanty Group Gobert, they really handled themselves uh, remarkably well in such trying circumstances and uh, you know it's, it's, it's I 
guess it's the nature of the beast, but it just once misinformation goes out there on social media, you, you can't... It's just like a bushfire, isn't it? How do you stop it? Well, I guess you do stop it, finally, but um, not before long. There's been so much inf- misinformation out there that uh, there's a lot of uh, cleaning up to be done. Well, there's a lot of tensions high at the moment anyway, we, as we mentioned with the, the Belgian bombings. Um, obviously, there's a highly contested political race here in the U.S., and there are tensions there. There are tensions in both Australia and the U.S. at the moment. Of I've known in the past week several hit-and-runs uh, that involve deaths to cyclists and motorists on the road. Uh, pedest- you know, just uh, people just literally out for fitness or, or, or just enjoying a commute to work. So there's, the tensions are, are high and have been at a high level for quite some time. I did enjoy reading a story from Shane Stokes earlier today on cycling tips. He interviewed a photographer, cycling journalist, uh, photojournalist Christophe Ramon. Um, and uh, had a chat with him, and, and it was about a 30-minute audio interview embedded with the story and gave their thoughts on on the incident and uh, what what is is being done uh, as far as the, the right way um, by uh, you know the UCI and, and what things they believe maybe could be changed, but it was all for the positive. And again, there's been no uh, from the team's perspective or or from Christoph or a lot of the the journalists that are aware of the information that's out there. There hasn't been any blame on the the, the moto pilot uh, as such, and he did everything he could to avoid the incident. Yeah, that's what my understanding was too, Aaron. And I, I just think it's important at this, at this like from the outset, but particularly now that there's been, a, you know, some some uh, sensibility or some reason calls being made, and in, in this things not sort of calmed down a little bit with this clearer head about how to handle everything. And I just hope that um, you know, rather than finger pointing um, at the moment, it's just base, basically the, you know the investigation to continue and to uh, find out exactly what happened and um, and that. Uh, as long as the sport or people can learn from it, I mean, finger pointing at this point of time is, uh, is, is. I understand when emotions run high, the riders, you know, they they have been for so long concerned about um, uh, accidents with motorbikes. But this particular case, I think, well, I think all these cases, you have to deal with in a one-on-one situation as to what's happened and find out exactly what happened before you start uh, attributing blame to anybody or any circumstance. You know, and Rupert, I think it should, you know, it's one of the things to be aware of. There, there are literally hundreds of bike races, professional bike races, men's and women's every single year, hundreds. And there are literally hundreds of riders and officials out on the road in any one given time during those races of sometimes more often than not of 100 kilometers or more. So the incidents are really quite infrequent. It's just that when they do happen, obviously it can be a very dangerous situation and often life-threatening. But I think as a whole, uh, the sport does a great job. I think the sport has done an amazing job on a lot of levels as of late to, to make it a safer sport, to make it a cleaner sport. And, uh, you know, I, instead of attacking the UCI at the moment, attacking I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna just tip my hat to the guys and, and hope they continue to, to 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 do a great job and that they can put this past tragedy behind them. And as as Marcel Kittel, uh, the German sprinter, uh, said this week in an open letter that was highly publicized, one one statement that really uh, it, what was it? What was a very well written letter? Um, one statement, once in is truly, uh, it, it rang true for me, and, I, and, and perhaps it did for you as well, Ruth, but um, his words were, we need to work together to keep this sport safe and give sense to this tragic death. And, and I think that's something that we can, we can uh, move forward with. 
Exactly. Well, look, uh, Aaron, that's probably a good point for us all to move forward. Uh, Marcel Kittle, yeah, he certainly uh, he was one of the voices of reason, I think, that really stood out, and I think it was a poignant that it came from somebody within the peloton as well. Uh, uh, if I, I'm sure on your behalf as well, Aaron, that you know we wish... Uh, Antoine Duantier, his uh, team, family, friends and the rest of the peloton, all the very best, uh, particularly uh, in the next weeks and months and if not years as they uh, uh, come back you know, to, to deal with this uh, tragedy. But likewise for Dan Mingus, you know, uh, obviously his, uh, his passing was a tragedy and um, you know, at the age of 22, uh, you know, it's just, it's just awful, isn't it? But likewise for him and his team and family and friends, uh, on behalf of What A Ride, uh, we wish them all the very best best and uh, I guess we'll say we usually say this the end of the show eh, Aaron but maybe you know to the peloton uh, hope you all stay safe out there uh, for the rest of the season and everything so um, uh, I think that's probably a fitting moment mate I think uh, can you get your little pinkies and fingers ready to find some music again because we're going to come back after this bit of music and we're going to rip into the Tour of Flanders
Welcome back to What A Ride with Rupert Guinness and Aaron S. Lee. This is our special Tour of Flanders edition and uh, we're just uh, about to rip into, kick up a gear to talk about the Tour of Flanders um, after, uh, understandably, sort of sombre start to the show, which has been a really hard week for Belgian and all of cycling's fans, if not sports fans, um, and actually Belgians with the tragedy of the bombings in Brussels. But anyway, uh, we're now going to, in this segment of the show, we're going to talk about the actual race. Now, the Tour of Flanders, as I've said, is the second of the top five monuments in world cycling for one-day classics, and uh, it's my personal favourite of the five. Um, Aaron, I don't know, what's your, what's your personal favourite of the five monuments? Oh, you know what, I'm going to go Liège, Bastion Liège, and I think for the simple reason, I just love what Simon Gerrans has been able to do there. And uh, it's always been an exciting race. But, uh, no, I think Tour of Flanders, as you mentioned, it, it ranks right up there. Um, and probably more so, I, like you said, uh, Perry-Roubaix gets all the, the pomp and circumstance. And Tour of Flanders is, is a little bit of the, uh, the the stepchild, so to speak. But uh, it is, there's a lot of passion there. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, purity of the sport in this race. And I, I kind of like it to what you said earlier about Tour de France, whereas I like the Giro just a, just a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. But what, what, what I love about uh, Tour of Flanders, I guess it was, it was the, when I first went over to Europe in 1987, uh, uh, it was the very first uh, classic I went to after about 10 days of being there. And uh, and I didn't know what was going on. I was just in, in, the, in a press car going up and down, left and right, over cobblestones and up these bergs. And uh, and then um, uh, and just seeing the, 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 the people, the buildings on the side of the road, you could see how much this race meant to them and how they call it the uh, the Belgian World Championship, and uh, and then uh, talking to riders afterwards, and I've written a piece for Cycling News on uh, on uh, sort of like Australia's sort of uh, lineage with with the Tour of Flanders. I mean, Australians never won it yet, but that um, that very first race I went to um, uh, at the finish, I went to see Phil Anderson, who was kind of uh, uh, pretty peeved off that he hadn't got the result, but he and the Panasonic team didn't ha- really have any results, and Phil just said, "Oh, look, just go up the road." To, the, to Alan Piper's house, um, which was only 400 metres from the finish line then, and that's where the Panasonic team uh, were were staying, actually, just to sort of shower. And this is this is before we had buses in the sport, you know. So I just went up to Alan's house, and Alan, uh, who is now um, uh, high performance director at uh, BMC, um, he sat me down. I was sitting in his kitchen, and he just went. He, he just explained to me how the race unfolded because I knew nothing about what had happened, and I still remember Peter Post. Um, who was the boss of the Panasonic team? He was stomping around the house. Uh, he was furious that the team hadn't won and everything, hadn't even gotten to the result. Although Alan did get into the, uh, he got tenth in that year's race. But you know they wanted a win, and and the look on all the Belgian riders in this albeit Dutch team uh, that they had sort of failed their mission, and in in which is their biggest race of the year, one day race. And uh, and here I was just sitting amongst all this, you know, and uh, it was kind of bizarre, but it was. Uh, it still left an impression with with me as to how much this race means, not to the fans but to the riders, and and just to see them there ex- absolutely exhausted after about what 275 k's of torrid racing it really just sort of uh, it, it blew me away really, and uh, it's left a lifelong impression. 
Well, you know, this this race is the longest under, interrupted uh, of the spring classics, dating back to, to 1913. It did have a, a, a brief hiatus during World War One, but started back up in 1919 and has gone continuously since. Six, uh, I believe it's I believe it's six riders, um, uh, six seven riders, uh, or six men, I believe, hold uh, three wins each to to tie for first with. Two of those guys being Boonin and Cancellar, as we mentioned earlier. Uh, like I said, each of them have three wins each. And, of course, then uh, those guys have some Perry roubaix wins, uh, a few Perry roubaix wins themselves there too, don't they, Rube? Yeah, they certainly do. They certainly do. They're not bad at their job. Um, <laughs> and uh, but uh, and also we should say this year's uh, Tour of Flanders is the 100th edition. So it's, gonna, it's a real historical uh, moment. No, it, it really is. And I tell you, I'm, I'm quite excited to see one uh, Greg Van Avermaet and see, if, uh, see how he can you know, continue his what has seemed to be a bit of a hot hand the last two seasons now. Most Obviously, this one being the, the hottest uh, here in the Spring Classics. Uh, Greg's done an amazing job with yeah. AMC. Yeah, 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 certainly has. He's really come of age, hasn't he, in the last few years. And uh, I think another interesting thing is going to play a role in this year's race. You know, it's easy to look, no, to come up with all your favourites and who you think will win and all that. But uh, I was just reading some stories today about how, um, you know, with, with the advent of really bad weather in the in Paris-Nice and Torino-Adriatico, uh, before Milan San Remo was on, uh, how a lot of the riders, after they finished their races, uh, they became really, really sick. And, um, I, you know, I think... Uh, you know, like the Cannondale team at uh, Ghent Wevelgum, they didn't get any of their riders to the finish line. And as we speak now, the three days of the punter is still one stage to go, but they've lost a, a bunch of their riders in that race. And they're not the only team. I'm just using it as an example, but there's a lot of uh, uh, riders who are in poor health because of the, the snowy and wet conditions that they've already had to race through. So, you know, it could be a I mean, Tour of Flanders, the strongest rider usually always wins, but certainly I don't think anybody who's going to be uh, feeling poorly at the start are really going to be in the fray at the end. Well, you have to also be looking at uh, the defending champion, Alexander Kristoff, and of course, Peter Sagan as well, the, the, the reigning world champion, who finally got the, the rainbow curse off his back uh, this week. Oh yeah, I mean that was uh, <laughs> that was a relief for all. Uh, you know, I saw uh, uh, Gregor Brown did a uh, interview with his sports director, and and the guy was uh, pretty relieved, and uh, um, which you can imagine he would be. But saying that, he made an interesting point. He said, "Well, how will you know?" Gregor asked him, "How would he be uh, uh, now?" And he says, "Well, no, he'll be just the same." the start of the next race he'll be just as uh, anxious and keen to try and win the race and he'll you know he'll race to win he never you know races just for training and uh, um, but I think everyone was happy to see that and um, the world champions jersey uh, always looks best as the rider cross, crosses the line with his arms aloft absolutely now, now Sagan correct me if I'm wrong now he finished on the podium in 2013 behind Cancellar yes I believe that's correct um, uh, yeah. So, if so how, do you, how, do you, how do you rate his chances, Ruth? Sagan, look, I think um, the uh, for Sagan. Uh, I'd say he's obviously got very good form. Um, I hope he can use his nous as he did to uh, to win Ghent Wevelgem because I think uh, there's one critique, you know. Geez, he, he, I'm not I'm not bagging him, definitely not. But if there's one critique, I'd say that uh, hopefully he's learned from experiences. You know, he's 
perhaps raced too hard when he's been in breakaways, you know, and he's got to think smarter. We saw in the Tour de France last year, I think he got like five or six seconds in the Tour de France, and, and uh, some of the riders would say, geez, he's... So, I mean, he is a very popular rider in the peloton, and he's very highly respected, and, and obviously winning the World Championship, as he did, um, you know, he's the strongest guy there. And I think... Uh, it's just I, I, it's probably more out of frustration to see a guy with so much strength and charisma and and and, and panache, but that just tweak you know his racing sense a little bit better, and he could have probably converted a lot of those seconds into firsts. But hopefully now he's got his head around that, and hopefully uh, over a longer distance he can keep his head around that if that makes sense because a lot of people forget the difference in the distance between Ghent Wevelgem and uh, and uh, Tour of Flanders that extra sort of 50 k's or so that makes a massive uh, takes an extra toll on you mentally um, as much as physically particularly if you're going to be in the in the frame for, to try and win the race well you know we talked about Fabian Cancellar and we talked about this being his his last and then Tom Boonen not being the Tom Boonen as of, of years past due, largely due to, to injury from crashes um, it just goes to show you, you you gotta relish these moments when you see the true legends and the greats riding don't you Rube? Oh for sure, for sure that's why you know uh, I mean I would love to have been there in Flanders this year to, 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 to watch it but certainly it makes for great uh, television viewing and um I would actually recommend anybody who, if they ever want to go on a cycling trip, though, you know, a lot of people go to the Tour de France, and, and then now a lot of people are talking about going to the Tour of Italy. But really, treat yourself to two weeks uh, of the of the uh, Flemish classics, the, the Tour of Flanders and Paris-Roubaix. I mean, you, you can stay in one spot for those two weeks. You know, you've got, uh, like, every second day there's some big race on somewhere, uh, and in between you can go do your own riding, some beautiful riding around the canals of Flanders. You've got a rich, rich history there. Um, as I said before, early in the show, OK, some of us, a lot of us to do with the war, but it's just a beautiful area of the world, and um, and I think, uh, you know, if I had a choice I would you know, to go on a, on a cycling trip, I would choose two weeks for the, uh, for the Flemish Classics fortnight. Fantastic. Well, now, enough about, I guess we keep talking, I mean, people are pretty sick of hearing an American and an Australian bang on about the Tour of Flanders. I reckon there's nothing better than to speak to uh, somebody, a real Belgian. How fancy that, Aaron? Do you reckon we could uh, get a Belgian on this show? Oh, where are we going to find a Belgian in this show? Hold on. Uh, hey, Hendrik, Hendrik, I found a Belgian. <laughs> He's with us right here. <laughs> He's, not, he's with us right here. Um, Aaron, get your fingers ready. Find some music, because after the break, we're going to speak to a real live Belgian called Hendrik Rodant, and he was a great writer in his day, and he's the general manager and head sports director of the um, United Healthcare Pro Cycling Team, an American team, who uh, have uh, some high ambitions for the future. But first up in this interview, after the break, we're going to talk to uh, Hendrik Rodant about what it means to be a Belgian and what makes the Belgian classics so special. Join us after the break on What A Ride.
and Aaron S. Lee for our special tour of Flanders edition. Now, uh, as I said just before the break and that little bit of music, we're going to speak to a real-life Belgian, Hendrik Rigdant. Now, Hendrik is a, a former cyclist himself, um, and he is Belgian, and he loves the classics. And I caught up with uh, Hendrik uh, during the Tour of Langkawi, uh, where he was uh, taking his team, the United Healthcare uh, Pro Cycling Team, an American team, uh, onwards and upwards. And they had a terrific campaign in Malaysia, but uh, uh, we'll t- he's going to talk to us about that later in the show. But for this segment... We spoke to Hendrik about what um, what makes this classic so special for a Belgian and what makes them so hard and, uh, w- you know, just a bit about the mood of what um, it would be like to be there if, if we were there. Uh, but enough of me. Let's listen to Hendrik Redant. Well, I'm standing here with Hendrik Redant, the uh, general manager of the United Healthcare Pro Cycling team at the last stage of the Tour de Langkawi. Hendrik, uh, we're, we're here the last stage. Just first up, before we talk about uh, the upcoming spring classics for the cycling season, just a quick word about how you feel that your team has done in this uh, year's race, albeit there is still one stage to go. Indeed, still one stage to go, but I think till now we really did uh, good, really good indeed. Uh, we had a stage win at this moment we're still first in general for the teams uh, we have a second place in the general individual 
two, three times we have been elected as most aggressive riders, so that means our team really ride well and they ride with aggression and with uh, with spirit, and that's what I like. So let's hope we can defend all these things that I just named uh, today because that's going to be the important thing. The race is only done by the finish line. It's a big shopping list, isn't it? If my wife told me to go out there and buy all those things, I'd probably only come back with one of them, if any of them. Well, yeah, that's true. At least we have to keep uh, one focus on, on one, but we try to get them all as it is possible, and um, that will be a big achievement. Now, obviously, this uh, this success and also your your great rides in the uh, Herald Sun Tour you know, it has been a long tour for you guys. Uh, you're going to be focusing on the American calendar, and I guess with Tour of California coming up. But Hendrik, with you being Belgian, I'm sure you're going to keep one eye, if not two, uh, possibly at time to time on the big uh, uh, classics coming up over in Europe. As a Belgian and as a former professional cyclist who, who rode them, what do the classics mean? Well, they mean a lot, of course. Um, you know, already I've been watching uh, over the weekend already the first opening race in Belgium, the second day. So I've been staying up all night. So that means it, it means a lot to me already as a man Belgian, and I know these classics. I've been riding them, but it's a, it's a real big thing. And surely you have you have those legends like Tour of Flanders, Paris Roubaix, coming up in let's say a month. And I know all these guys are preparing really mentally, physically up towards these races. And it's it's so special. It's it's yeah. If you win one of those, you you you're going to the gallery of the growth of the great ones, and you'll be in every museum, let's say. But it's so special racing. It's it's. Uh, the spirit of it is it's, it's all of it uh, here look there's a lot of people here but nobody really knows what cycling is all about they don't know tactics they don't know how it works in Belgium you have uh, the public that's there uh, are all the cycle fanatics from the, the country itself but a lot of people that know what cycling is and what it is they know when there is a mistake made they know when a rider has to attack they know when there is winter come and they have to shelter up but you know that all that little things together that make it such a big race and such a nice and big ambience now I know that you, you won Parry Tours, which is the uh, the autumn classic, and I remember I wrote a report for Cycling News, uh, Cycling Weekly, on your victory there. But did you have a, a favourite classic that that for you was the one that you lived and breathed and woke up every morning, even as a kid, dreaming to win, and even as a professional, trying to win or hoping to win? Yeah, that's that's true. Look, I lived on the parkour of Tour of Flanders, but my real big dream was winning or racing Paris Roubaix. The first year I raced. I was in the front with the professionals and I crashed at about 15 kilometers to go and the year I could win it I punctured uh, with 10 to go but that was a race I was always living to it, it, it's it's really a legend I wanted to win that race I tried 11 times and I didn't win it I, I could have won it one but I was bad luck so that that's racing but indeed uh, for me the real legend is Paris Roubaix it's, it's such a hard race it's nothing to do with climbing it's all with positioning um, with cursing at each other with, with, with crashes with, 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 with all these, these things that can happen in a race and but yeah I loved it it's it's typical um, something for the heart uh, guys and uh, I counted myself to that one and and you know still um, when I'm there at the start we were there at the start with our boys last year and I know they were not that experienced as as for instance I was or a lot of guys like Musevi I just say something but still that was was awesome to be at the start and trying to, to get as fast as possible, but that's really a legend. I love that one. Here with uh, United Healthcare Pro Cycling, I mean, obviously, uh, with it being Pro Conti, uh, and, and it's not on your program to do these classics, but would you would you like for this team to develop to World Tour and to be able to, to steer them into a classics campaign, into a major classics campaign? Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. We've been working on that already for several years now. 
Uh, it's all about the money, of course. In a Pro Tour team, you need uh, quite some budget, and uh, uh, at this point, uh, we're looking still for some sponsorings and uh, sponsors, and uh, so let's hope that all comes together. But indeed, our aim is to go uh, on the big World Tour uh, level and riding all those uh, classics. We already last year we had some. Uh, uh, we, we did uh, Paris Roubaix, we did um, uh, Lombardy uh, races like that. So, but of course, doing the whole the whole set of program, the whole World Tour races will be something awesome. I know the South Africans uh, aimed high and they now in there and they, they ride like uh, really uh, well for that. So, but that's one of our goals as well. But um, we'll see. But I would love to take these guys up to there. They already could taste a few races. We have been doing the Europe program over the last four years, and it's not, of course, the real top classics, but still there. Uh, we have nice of uh, nice races and hard races. So they tasted how it is, and that ambience, that that stress, that that victory-minded uh, uh, public. So yeah, that's our goal. Uh, one last question. Look, uh, obviously for, for the classics, um, you know, you have certain riders who are suited for certain races like you get certain guys for Roubaix and Flanders and the other guys for the Ardennes classes but for when you uh, focus on one of those two blocks uh, I guess if you win one of those classics you feel great the next day maybe a little bit tired but you feel great now for the guys who don't win what's the what's the physical and emotional toil toll on you how do you feel the next day you feel terrible. Also, if you win after Paris Roubaix, uh, look after Tour of France, Paris Roubaix. You feel after another race like a Flèche Wallonne, so it's different. It's less demanding of the body. But one of those Belgian classic races with all the cobblestones and the, those steep, uh, uh, really hard hills, it's it, it, it's some attack on your body. But just to tell you, like uh, about two years ago, we did Paris Roubaix with guys that were really completely unexperienced, with material that was at that time limited to do it. And I know I passed my my first rider after 130 kilometers, the second one after 165, but they all finished because they wanted to finish and we were one of the only teams that finished with all eight riders. I was so proud on that because I know that for them it was really something special, but that spirit about I want to finish Paris-Roubaix, that was there and I loved that. And we had so many punctures and we were so having bad luck, but still all our guys were there and it made me really feel proud because that means that those guys know what it means to raise a Paris Roubaix, to raise it to the finish, and not only just to know the parkours, you can always go on the cobbles anyway, whatever you want, but in that race, it's an honor to do it, and I loved that attitude that they had, so let's go uh, for a better, even stronger team, and let's go for an aim for a bit. Well, I think that performance there in Paris-Roubaix by the team sort of reflects the uh, the culture of, of the team which you've, you've brought in. I think that's a great thing for the future. I think we've seen a lot of that today or this, in this Tour de Lancari as well. Hendrik Rudank, thank you very much, and congratulations on everything you've done. You've got a great team, a really exciting uh, program going, and I wish you all the best for the future. Thank you. Thank you very much, everyone. Welcome back to What a Ride with Rupert Guinness and Aaron S. Lee. Well, uh, Aaron, that was a pretty uh, insightful sort of talk. You, you know Hendrik pretty well, Hendrik Redant, who did, we just spoke to. Uh, uh, he's always an interesting guy to talk to, isn't he, with his insights? He always uh, he leaves you with something to go away with having learnt. Yeah, it's, I tell you what, I, I can't say enough good things about Hendrik. I, I, again, as I said on the last week's show, when we teased the interview coming up this week, um, I, I shared some, some great moments with Hendrik. And, and I think it was either Lane Cowie or Korea last year. I can't remember. It was, it was, it was in the Asia Tour, and it was a great time. It might have been both of them. I'm not sure. Oh, dear. We better put the bleep on there. Do we? <laughs> yeah, that's, I'm going to leave it at that.
Okay, all right. Well, look, uh, hey, before we, you know, we, we get too far ahead of ourselves, obviously coming into the Tour of Flanders, um, you know, like I said, it's, this is the uh, the second of the five monuments, the first being Milan-San Remo, which has been won and lost, depending on who you, whose side you are with. And leading into that, we had races like Paris-Nice, Torino-Adriatico, um, and since then we've also had the Tour of Catalonia, which the whole thing shows how much racing there is in a European calendar. And while the riders we see racing in the Tour of Flanders um, have raced in a lot of those events I just mentioned, not all the big stars of world cycling will be there on Sunday, will they? For example, guys like Richie Port, um, uh, Chris Froome, Vincenzo Nibali, they're, they're sort of guys who are looking towards the Tour de France and they love the mountains. We may see some of them in the Ardennes Classics in a couple of weeks' time, but uh, um, was there anything you took from uh, those races that sort of stood out that uh, perhaps you know we might have glossed over for through uh, Tour of Flanders fever? Well, I'll tell you, one of the things was uh, I, I really was, I had Michael Matthews ping pretty highly uh, from Milan San Remo, and of course he, he got caught up in a, in a crash and made one uh, uh, courageous effort to, to get back to that uh, finish line and, and fight for a podium. Of course, uh, the, the winner, the Frenchman, uh, Arnaud Demar, uh, he, he uh, obviously recovered from his crash in what, was, uh, what looked like to be a case of towing route. Yeah, well, we, we spoke about uh, social media and how quickly uh, info spreads like wildfire in social media, and that was a very interesting story, wasn't it? And uh, I still think, you know, whatever was right or wrong, uh, that's, that's probably going to be a little bit of a, a stigma that hangs over his head or, or you know, whether that's fair or not. <clears throat> but um, it's an interesting debate because uh, I guess another, you know, sort of also created debate as to, you know, the, 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 the uh, technology and use of technology by um, race officials and how they can work with TV to sort of minimise or if not eliminate this sort of uh, alleged activity going on. But it was a, a remarkable uh, return to the fray, to the front of the peloton uh, by him. And um, um, I guess, you know, I'd love to talk to some of the riders who are out there. I'm looking forward to, I'd love to speak to some people to find out exactly what did happen. Um, there again, um, the UCI in its wisdom or not, decided not to pursue it. Well, Ruth, I'll tell you, another thing that caught my eye and my attention has been the performance of Alberto Contador uh, over the last mm. month and a half, obviously with Algarve, uh, Perry Nice, and Catalonia, uh, finishing on the podium in GC all three times, including second place at Perry Nice and Catalonia. Yeah, that was a, uh, you know, he's really racing everything, isn't he? I mean, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad he's not doing the Giro because I wouldn't think he'd have anything left by the Tour de France. But maybe that's why he is racing so aggressively now because he's not doing the Giro this year. So he will have a break coming up before the Tour de France. And certainly he's an entertaining rider to watch race, isn't he? I think, uh, you, I mean, he, what I also love about it, he's not just waiting for the stages that just suit him um, on paper. He, he's looking for opportunities, you know, uh, just to gain seconds here and there and uh, and it's paying dividends for him no absolutely and i'll tell you what, another thing and not to really harp back on flanders but you talk about avoiding it and kind of massaging your schedule to uh to bring your form up to, to certain races heinrich halfler who decided not to defend his his australian national road championship this january um he's been named as a uh obviously he finished i believe seventh at, at milan san remo that's right and yep. he is and then he has been listed as a as kind of the go-to guy, the protected rider for Flanders and Roubaix coming up for uh, I Am Cycling. 
Yeah, yeah, I think that's, that's that was really encouraging to see uh, his ride in Milan San Remo. And knowing Heinrich, he would have liked to have had a, a better place than seventh, but it just shows he was there in the mix. And um, the last time, you know, 2009, uh, he was in the mix. He got pipped, as we spoke about a couple of weeks ago, uh, by Cavendish for the win at Milan San Remo. But then he rebounded and got uh, two top ten places. I think one of them might, was it, might have been fourth in Tour of Flanders. But anyway, he was in certainly in the top ten of both Flanders and Roubaix uh, on similar form so who knows maybe he's uh, he's right in there with a chance and um, he, he certainly has the hunger and passion for these races he knows the course very well and um, you know I, I think he's uh, you know he, he would have got some confidence out of his uh, Milan San Remo um, performance and as you said if, if he's got that form it'll also uh, reinforce his uh, conviction that he's made the right choice to, uh, to to train back here or train over there in Europe rather than uh, sort of flog himself in the early Australian season. No, absolutely. And of course, I mentioned one of my favorites for Flanders is obviously Greg Van Avermaet, the 30-year-old uh, Belgian rider, BMC Racing. He's had a spectacular spring, as we mentioned. He, he won uh, Torino, Adriatico. He had a great he had He won Omloop, and he finished in the top five at Milan San Remo and the top ten at Gent Webelgum. Yep, yep, yep. Hey, and another little uh, little thing that sort of popped out of those races I mentioned, Tour of Catalonia, I thought it was interesting to see how Richie Port and uh, TJ Van Garderen raced together for the first time as teammates for BMC. They're going to have two more opportunities before the big one, the Tour de France in July. But, um, you know, OK, Richie dropped from third to fourth on the last day because Dan Martin managed to... Um, uh, to get up uh, in an intermediate sprint, and everybody who knows Richie, you know Richie doesn't. He hasn't got a sprint, but uh, I think that it was a reinforcement that Richie's on. You know, he's tracking very well with a, with his eye on July. You know, he's got fourth. He had third in Paris Nice, and uh, uh, two down under. What was it? it was uh, second, third, or whatever. Anyway, he's, he's he's been up there for three World Tour races now, all stage races. So. I think he's going very well, and I thought it was look. It looked good to see TJ and uh, Richie both race well <coughs> and try and use their opportunities as they came up. Uh, TJ got fifth at Catalunya. Um, okay, it's easy to say that's the first race of the season. Is it a honeymoon period or not? Uh, if it is a honeymoon period, fine. You know, I mean, uh, marriages last longer than the honeymoon, so uh, uh, mine did. So why can't uh, why can't their honeymoon last longer? Certainly, we hope it gets into July and uh, and they can produce their best performances for each of themselves as much for the team. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Rube. And, and, and you know, you, you mentioned about Richie's performances. Yes, you're spot on. I mean, he did finish. Uh, obviously, he, he won stage five, Wollonga Hill there at the Tour Down Under, and he finished second on GC, uh, finished second on the Mountains classification for what for what that's worth. But he also finished third at Paris Nice, and then, of course, at fourth at Catalonia. He, he's, for someone who's, who's had some really good results, um, he's flying a bit under the radar this year. Yeah, well, I think that's something that can work in his favour in a little way. I mean... Can you imagine if he was uh, winning these races as he was last year, um, all eyes and attention would be on him. And um, uh, I think it's something that Rich is kind of aware of, to be honest. But I think that's a a nice place to be. Um, You know, uh, there's other people who can carry the pressure of expectation. Um, And, you know, I think think Rich is in a pretty good uh, uh, place in the world with himself privately, you know, and and, uh, just that consistent form. And on top of that, I think he's, he's, he's got 
health with him. I mean, he, he got a bit sick from Paris Nice as well, from the conditions, but I think many in the peloton did. But just his general overall health is, is tracking well, and that's just uh, with, the, with the good racing he's getting in, and uh, with the good health, and then the um, well-timed breaks in between races, uh, I think it's just you know, it all augurs really well for, for July. But I won't get my uh, put the cart ahead of the horse, because uh, uh, I have a tendency to put the mocker on people. So uh, I'm going to hold back a little bit and uh, I'm not going to talk about Richie Port anymore on this show today. Well, no, you, 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 you've, you've heard it here first. Richie Port we're to France. Rupert Look, uh, we're going to take that opportunity now to have a break at Milan San Remo. I'll regather my emotions and uh, and then um, we'll come back after this nice little bit of music as we're, uh, we're in full stride here in uh, What a Ride with Rupert Guinness and Aaron S. Lee.
to Water Ride with Rupert Guinness and Aaron S. Lee. Aaron and I were in the lead breakaway at the moment of this race, Water Ride, the latest episode, the Tour of Flanders special. But we're just going to turn left here, change the direction in the course. Uh, very soon the United States calendar is going to be resuming with the Joe Martin stage race. And then we uh, get to the Tour of Gila, then obviously the build-up to the Tour of California. Now our special guest for the show, uh, Hendrik Redant. Uh, former Belgian cyclist but now general manager and sports director of the United Healthcare team um, they're sort of going to uh, rebound hopefully or he hopes they will be uh, that his team will be at the Joe Martin stage race uh, at the Tour of Lankawi. Um they had a really successful race they won a stage they uh, won the team's classification they got second overall uh, you know and um, and the whole team just rode really really well they finished that race up in, uh, in feeling really good about themselves um, and obviously the two we spoke about to Hendrik earlier in the show about the classics and what does it mean for a Belgian and all that sort of stuff but this, in this part of the interview we spoke to Hendrik about um, you know uh, his team the team's ambitions what they're looking for in the United States in that in their program but also some of their vision for the future uh, Hendrik is keen hopefully for this team to become world tour uh, Aaron what's your feel about you United Healthcare and what potential they have. Well, they've, they've got a lot of potential. They've, they've got a lot of backing. It's a, it's one of the the, the better financed uh, United States Pro Continental licensed teams. Uh, now they they lost one of their top riders last year, or should I say this year, uh, Kilrajan to Trek Factory Racing, uh, who's who's enjoying his Neo Pro season with those guys. But uh, they're they're a, they're a great team. I'm expecting some. Some positive results from them this year, especially under the the tutelage of Hendrik. What do you think? What do you think? I mean, you know, Hendrik's a guy who's not. Um, is that, there's a little bit of Dave Sanders in, in Hendrik? I see. You know, who uh, uh, you know he was Victorian uh, sports director and coach who at the Tour Down Under uh, uh, manages the um, UniSA Australia selection team. Obviously, that team is not that's a national selection amateur team, and it's not a, uh, a team of the status of this. But um, Dave Sanders has a you know a sort of penchant to. To, uh, to just tell his riders, just have a crack, go for it. Don't feel intimidated by riders who are, who are uh, supposedly in higher-ranked teams and whatever. Um, Hendrick's a bit like that too, I think. He's, I mean, he's a very, in a very encouraging way. He, uh, he uh, gets the best out of his riders, but he gets them to um, seize the opportunity rather than just sort of wait to be told. Well, of course, that's kind of the style that Hendrick actually uh, partook when, when he was a rider himself, wasn't it, Ruth? I mean, a, a two-time KBK winner, a Perry Tours winner. I mean, he, he always just ha- kind of had a crack. And he, he, even though he was a Belgian, always gave it a bit of that uh, Aussie, Aussie crack, didn't he? Yeah, I think he did. And uh, I think the essence of it, too, is like, I mean, the sport's such a hard sport. You've got to enjoy what you do, and like with any job, but uh, you know, just by having a crack, you know, you, you, you have a go, and sometimes, more often than not, it doesn't work. But sometimes it does, and that's what makes success so enjoyable because it it is so rare for most riders in the peloton. But when it doesn't, you just uh, take it on board, see, learn, and so sort of absorb where you went right or wrong, and uh, try and do it better the next time. But you know, don't sort of labour too much in the uh, the potential, particularly for young riders who are coming through. I guess it could be easy to 
you know, to say, gee, I'm just bashing my head against the wall here. I'm not making any inroads at all. But, um, you know, w- you know, winning is a is a lot rarer thing than most people uh, realise. Uh, certainly when people are watching races, uh, un- the old cliche, it all looks too easy, doesn't it, when it's going well. But when it's going bad, and we see a lot of that in cycling, uh, gee, it looks horrible. Well, we just, you know, we talked about it already in the show. We're we're over three months into the, nearly three months into the the racing season, and it was just this past week that uh, the world champion was able to take his first win of the season. So it doesn't come easy. And the great thing about Hendrick, it's it's hard to see him without his trademark smile, Rube. He's always got a big grin on his face, and and I think that positivity. Uh, is is very encouraging for a young pro squad like UHC, and uh, and I think it's a I think it, it creates a great atmosphere for those guys to learn and then potentially grow to that next level. Um, always a great time spending a little bit with uh, a little bit of time with Hendrick, and uh, and I'm looking forward to this second part of the interview. Well, let's do it. Let's listen to the man, the great man, Hendrick Redant. And the words behind, they come from the smiling face of this uh, Belgian cycling legend. He would laugh if I said legend because he would be saying, oh, no, 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 no. This. And there are a lot of legends in Belgium. So, But anyway, he is a great person of cycling, a great personality. And uh, here is Hendrik Redant talking about, uh, showing some of his greater vision about where his team, United Healthcare Pro Cycling, can go to in the long-term future, but also in the short-term future once the US uh, racing scene uh, gets into uh, top gear again with the Joe Martin stage race coming up. Oh, you, you've got here a team though that's really uh, challenging. It's possibly your best team, isn't yep. it? Yep, yep. This, is, this is right. Uh, we have one of our best teams here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we, we sort of made of a mix uh, with John Murphy, you won already a stage in Herald Center. We have Tanner uh, Put and uh, Time Magner that real are there for the sprint. Yeah. And then with Johnny Clark, uh, Yanni Brajkovic and Daniel Caramillo, we have the three guys can can play the game on uh, Cameron Highlands. Yeah. And that's the plan, you know, so we are challenging the Guardini guys, let's say, yeah. as uh, as one of the sprints. Mm-hmm. It's not easy, of course, because, yeah, you see already Guardini wins another stage, and uh, yesterday uh, the, the guy from that dimension as well, but we're trying our best, we're doing our best, we have about five chances more to, to really win for a stage, yeah. uh, but our main goal is, of course, to win the overall, and we have three of our best climbers in this team, mm. so I think we have one of our strongest team, if you see the race, compared to that, yeah, I think so as well. You know, for, for all the, like, uh, you know, say the World Tour teams who, who, who may not have brought their, their, their top team, but you've brought your top team, is, is this, this type of race like a major important thing for your sponsors, and is it Asia and the US who are really important uh, well, push for you guys? Yeah, for you, all... You, 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 you could say you could have sent this team to, to Europe or whatever. And... Indeed, but I think we made a choice. Uh, it is indeed uh, our sponsor is mainly interested in America. So uh, and now I'm talking about California, Utah, and all those races yeah. and uh, whatever. Uh, so that's that's of course one of our biggest goals. But also with, we have quite a few uh, Asian sponsors, and uh, I'm yeah. talking about the Shimano and uh, yeah. and the Maxis. For that is important. So Tour de Lankawi has always been a good race to us. Yeah. Uh, always been invited. We always bring a really good team. Tour de Taiwan be one of them as well. Mm-hmm. We love Australia, so that's why it's it's one of the best races I ever seen compared to two down under yeah. Herald Center. Yeah. So I think that's it, it has been a challenge to bring a, already a good team over there. But indeed, it's more uh, sponsor-wise that we're aiming more the yeah. American and the Asian market. Yeah. And, and it's good to get that momentum. And, and the guys need to. Uh, at the end of the day, it's good that they can win or be in the race, isn't it? Rather than just get. It's all about winning, mate. It's it's you know. 
everybody gets a bit you know nervous and stressed and then the victory comes and everybody's relaxed you can feel that team is immediately de-stressed let's say and that's good and then if you see that other guys uh, or climbers do Johnny did well in third on the Arthur seat uh, Tanner did a second place you know uh, it's it's all about that that momentum that that goes on you have a victory everybody gets de-stressed everybody get relaxed and you get more results out of it because once you're always there and you're fifth and you're sixth and you're ninth and you're fourth there's no victory everybody gets more and more stressed and it's more difficult to work once it's a relief and uh, indeed yeah we're still aiming for that next victory and that hopefully is uh, this week yeah Good to try with the, well, tomorrow's the camera in the Highlands yep. I mean uh, how do you, do you see that the, the peloton will be looking at you guys to uh, well not only in all guys there's a few of uh, yeah. Astana also yeah, like yeah. Lopez and so on that will be really good yeah. I think the climb is not the same as Genting mm-hmm. uh, that's for sure in Genting you really can make a difference I think here still it must be a very good rider if he wants to go alone yeah. if not it's going to be a small group and then it's still going to be decided over the race as well as it's still about five days to race but indeed um, I hope I think my plan is to be one of the protagonists in the race. Yeah, it's yeah. normal when you have three uh, really good yeah, climbers yeah. with you. So we're going to see and uh, try to control the race till the climb and see what happens. But indeed, it's uh, it's going to be a challenge. And um, there's a few other guys that I won't name their names, but uh, that we still have to take care of. And at that time, maybe our advantage will be that we have we are not alone and we have three guys normally in that in that group and they can play the round. So yeah. we'll yeah. see. Um, just lastly, for this for this year, what, what is your major goal? For this year. Is there California is one of the yeah one of the major goals. Uh, we want to do really good there. We're competing against the best in the world over there. The race is always be high standard. Uh, I know I'm comparing a sportive way and don't yeah. talk about organization or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It is, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, indeed, it's uh, that's one of our main goals. It's big uh, for the sponsor. So the real American races are really still there. Utah, Colorado. Well, Colorado this year, sadly enough, won't yeah. won't happen. But also like uh, Gila, Joe Martin, and surely California will bunny one or over high. Indeed, yeah. the, the, the core of this team here was probably this is your tour of California sort of core. well yeah it's going to be a mix of, uh, of a few that yeah. did San Luis uh, yeah. did uh, Oman and, and these guys mm. so we still have to we're busy now uh, observing and uh, analyzing the stages as well if it's only sprinters I'm going to take my sprint team if it's only climbing I'm going to take if not we have to see uh, which races are more suited for which guys yeah. and we're going to try to make our the best team of that so we're still busy in analyzing that and trying to get our best team ready for that race so but at this point, I think everybody will have a group run until that date. So they have, these guys have been racing Australia over here. Yeah. The others have been racing San Luis, Qatar, Oman. Yeah. And we will also have now uh, Gila, Jumart in, in Turkey. So it's going to be really perfect preparation to us, California. You, and we will distillate our, our team from that yeah. group. You, you, you mentioned about the Hell Sun too. We've got a stage winner in the second or the third. Yep. You've got a you know, win in the bump sprint. You've got the second or third. And it was after seat. After seat, yeah. yeah. We're, we're through my outstanding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Does, that, does that sort of add that sort of add that quality to those yeah. results because of the way that Froome and Sky race? Yeah. They, they respected because they could have just ridden around for training, couldn't they? I must say, I, I told John Trevor as well. I said, well, you really have a good team here that yeah. makes your pro- promotion for your race, and I'm talking now about those guys. Yeah. Uh, I said we always try, but we must be honest, we're not on that level yet. But uh, indeed, those guys could have come just for a holiday. But that was not the case. They really controlled the race all day. And yeah, Froome wanted what you want more. So uh, at, at that point, yeah, yeah, I know. We tried. But yeah, yeah at that point, uh, I told our boys, don't be afraid. Don't let yourself intimidate. Just go with the best. And you see where you end. And you see Johnny was third. John was, sec- uh, was winning. And Tanner was second. So in a way, we had a really, really good race. Because all the rest was won by almost Sky. So 
at that point I'm, I'm really glad I'm really pleased that it was like that and it was also fine to do that tactic of not intimidation not leaving you intimidated but just go for it and that's what we're going to try as well tomorrow well, you're listening to What a Ride with Rupert Guinness and Aaron S. Lee and we're listening to Henrik Redant the uh, general manager and sports director of the United Healthcare Pro Cycling Team. Um, actually, Aaron is just making me think in the break. You know, uh, you know, Hendrik. I mean, talk, we were talking earlier about how Hendrik is. You know, we're talking about that sort of essence of just having a crack, get out there and have a try, uh, backing yourself. Um, and we're just staying off air then. I mean, remember how he was? Uh, he used to be the sports director on Lotto uh, when Cadell Evans rode on that team. But he actually ended up leaving Lotto on his own volition to try and or to join the uh, the doomed and failed uh, Pegasus, Australian Pegasus. Uh, uh, project the uh, the team that was going to hopefully try and hit, you know join the world tour or then pro tour, but uh, one of the interesting things that a lot of people may not realise is that Henrik Rodin actually paid out his own uh, contract to take the risk to join what was hopefully going to be an Australian team, which was going to you know uh, start before Orica Greenwich started. I mean, talk about backing yourself. That's really putting your your name and your reputation and your life on. Well, maybe not your life, but I mean, your certainly your reputation and your career on the line uh, for a hunch. Or maybe it was more than a hunch, but certainly it was something that didn't actually work because the Pegasus project failed. But of course, looking back now, and, and, and of course the. The Australian Pegasus sports racing team did fail, but how, how instrumental was that project in, in perhaps really getting the ball rolling and ultimately getting an Orca Green Edge off the ground? Well, I know that there'd been talk for some time before Pegasus started. I mean, uh, I know Shane Bannon, um, you know, even going back in 99 and uh, 2000, they were, they were you know, um, they, they were keen to try and get a team going themselves. That, you know, not saying it was Oracle Green Edge or Green Edge or Jerry Ryan then, but there was, there certainly was a big push uh, that came very close in 2003. Because I understand that at the time there was a very big, meet, important meeting held in Sydney on the eve of the Rugby World Cup final between England and Australia um, with the key parties that were uh, close to um, coming to terms for Australia's first ever team. It fell over at the end. This is not Pegasus. This is a, a precursor to Pegasus. But it just shows that there was a there was certainly various moves. And there was another move from Victoria. Uh, uh, there was another push to try and create a team down there as well. Um, so Pegasus wasn't really the first. And um, actually, it certainly and it certainly wasn't. You know, Oracle Green Edge is not the first Australian team either. Um, in the book I'm writing on the history of Australian cycling, uh, we've had several other teams uh, that have been Australian registered teams. But uh, I don't want to, you know, go into all that right now. But so certainly there's been momentum and interest and in, in attempts to get teams going, and for various reasons, these, you know, projects, um, you know, some succeed, some don't, some get up, some don't even get up. So uh, it shows that for a while though, there has been a lot of interest, certainly. I'm looking forward to seeing Hendrick and his new look UHC team. The, uh, some of the same guys that you were, had a chance to see in Langkawi get a chance to see them at the Joe Martin Stage Race when the UCI Americas Tour, the 2016 season, returns to North American soil for for a three week or for a three race stint. Uh, the Joe Martin Stage Race, followed by the Tour of the Gila in New Mexico, and then of course the Amgen Tour of California uh, to uh, close out uh, May. So uh, 
very excited to, to join up with him and, and perhaps have a have another beer. I think it's his shout. <laughs> oh, you would say that, wouldn't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, um, you know, you, you, have you heard anything more over there in the, in the States, Aaron, about, uh, you know, obviously the Tour of Colorado, you know, isn't up this year. I mean, has there been any developments there as to uh, any attempts to fill the void there or not, or um, do people just write that off the calendar? Yeah, at the moment, Rube, the, the only news being that uh, it will indeed return for the 2017 calendar, but uh, not having that tour of Colorado, the USA Pro Challenge, uh, it's a big hit for, for for the for North America when you know we're fresh off the, hosting the UCI uh, World Championships, the Road World Championships, and of course the the continuing growth of California of uh, the Larry H. Miller Tour of Utah, the USA Pro Challenge was just a just another great example of of, of the growth of cycling, pro cycling here uh, with with uh, the continental and pro-continental teams uh, having a place to go and race against the world's very best and, and, and gain that experience uh, and also rub shoulders with the best and hopefully get a, get a little bit of notice. Yeah, 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 yeah. And as we've seen, you know, you know, those who, who are willing to dare, they can uh, obviously you know, get their names out there. And uh, uh, there's been a lot of riders we've seen who do some great things in these, say, smaller races. And uh, before you know it, there they are over in Europe. Uh, actually, uh, Mr. Bevan, for example, there was a very nice article you wrote on, on him and his progress there at uh, Cannondale. He's, uh, um, I guess he's sort of put his, you know, the red alert out there now. People will be expecting him to back up his uh, strong, early season start at Paris Nice uh, with more performances won't they I, I understand he got a bit he obviously got ill at Paris Nice but um, when he returns to the to the uh, peloton um, people will certainly be expecting more of him Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I remember seeing uh, young Patty Bevan, uh, of course, I, I say just, just 25 years of age uh, and just turned it. But uh, seeing him in, um, in Nowra at the Watts factory there with, uh, with the Avanti racing team after he had just joined them after spending a year with the New Zealand track program and racing the Commonwealth Games in Glasgow, he had spent four years with the U.S., uh, registered Bissell racing team, the continental team there here in the U.S. And uh, just to see him flower, to see him get on the bike and, and produce 500 watts for nearly five minutes um, was quite impressive, Rup. And, and the thing about Patty Bevan is, is that he, he kind of, you know, he's, he's not a pure sprinter. He's a, he, just, he, he can just do about a little bit of anything. And he's proven that in the off season he wanted to. He thought the biggest thing he needed to do going to the World Tour was develop his time trial skills. So he spent a lot of time in the off season doing just that, and of course that paid off in huge dividends by winning the New Zealand Time Trial Championship back in January, but then placing on the podium uh, at Perry Nice in the prologue. Well, that's great. That's great. Well, look, uh, thumbs up to Paddy Bevan and uh, all the best to him. Uh, how about we take a little bit of a break to get our breath back because we're coming into the finishing straight soon, uh, Aaron, and uh, we probably need to finish strongly. Uh, we're, finish this, we're finishing this episode on, on a high, so uh, let's contain it. Don't lose the plot, and we'll uh, listen to a bit of music, and then we'll come back for the, uh, for the homeward straight, okay? You're listening to What a Ride with Rupert Guinness and Aaron S. Lee.
Welcome back to Water Ride with Rupert Guinness and Aaron S. Lee. We're nearly there. We can see the finish line and straight. Oh, in our, in our, in, we can see the finish line straight ahead. You can tell I'm getting ahead of myself here. But uh, it's a, you know, a jam-packed uh, edition with so much racing. It's almost you start getting into it, then you realise there's this event and that event, these people. And, uh, and I'm sure we've missed a lot as well. But uh, we can't sit here all day and talk, can we, Aaron? No, we can't. And, and obviously, we've got to get back to work and, and start researching and writing articles uh, that, uh, that we can share our thoughts and previews and, and wrap-ups uh, for, for, I guess, the masses around the world, hopefully. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, my friend. And uh, uh, my little final word, I mean, I'm going to ask you what your final little word is, but I noticed the, the Australian Drapac team, they're uh, over in France at the moment, and uh, they're going to kick off their European campaign uh, on April 1 just a day or two away uh i'm really hoping that uh brett and jones can get up and get that uh so far elusive uh first win uh with him he's he's, he's been in the mix so, so many times and uh to the Lankawa, he was he was really close there one day and then he pulled his foot from the uh pedal so i'm gonna uh give uh um brett and jones bj a uh, big thumbs up and all the best. All the way, BJ. Go for it, mate. And once you get that first win, the rest will come. Well, how about you, Aaron? What's, what's your big sort of uh, little or your final little word or hope for, for anybody out there? Well, I'll tell you, that my big, I, I, and by the way, I, I agree with your sentiments. I've been enjoying some of Britton Jones' uh, Facebook posts and Instagram posts from uh, their days over in Europe, and it, it sounds very exciting. Uh, it was also good to see that uh, the Avanti Isoway sports racing team, um, they were going to race, they were scheduled to race the Joe Martin stage race at the end of April, but they've uh, had been forced to pull out due to prior commitments in Europe. So they'll be joining some of those guys over in Europe and, and getting a little bit of uh, uh, European racing under their belt. They've done a lot of racing over the past uh, few years, obviously, obviously, you know, winning uh, six NRS titles uh, in, in, I think, about seven years uh, there in Australia, but also uh, spending a lot of time in the Asia Tour. But it'll be good to see them uh, cutting their teeth a little bit in Europe. Uh, very excited to see uh, the Ironman 70.3 return here in my native New Orleans. I don't have to go far. I could just walk out my front door to the press conference and to the start and finish line. So I'm very excited about that route. And then uh, also excited about trying to maybe catching up with the, uh, the new triathlon Australia CEO, Miles Stewart, talking to him about his first five months on the job and seeing if I can get a little bit of a hint on who we might be looking at as the representative on both the men's and women's side for the Olympics in Rio. Ah, that's interesting. I look forward to listening to that. And uh, uh, actually, they just unveiled the Australian Olympic uh, uh, uniforms uh, yesterday in Sydney at the Bondi Icebergs Club. And uh, uh, I'm not sure if you've seen it at all, Aaron. It's, it's actually, I, I quite like it. It's a very nice, uh, I'm not a fashionista, as some people may realise, so I'm not going to go into de- trying to describe exactly what style it is. But uh, I give it the thumbs up, the uniform. It's, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing the Australian team come out at the uh, opening ceremony in Rio. Well, I got to 
tell you, I saw the photos on social media yesterday, uh, and and I've got to tell you, I, I thought they were quite sharp as well. A bit of a throwback look, and it reminded me a little bit about the some of our uh, a bit of a style cues from the Deep South here in the U.S. Kind of what we call the seersucker design, the the, the nice summery pinstripe. But I did notice uh, our good friend and uh, media group uh, dinner club, our Christmas party dinner club um, colleague Mike Tomalaris from. SBS. I did notice that he had a bit of a dig about them uh, maybe not being TV friendly because of uh, the strobing effect that pinstripes give. Only Tomo would come up with that. Oh dear, oh dear. Well, yeah, Tomo has issues, of course. Um, I would like to see a little bit of a Hawaiian sort of flavour there, you know, a little floral area. But anyway, maybe that, that'll be for the next Olympics. You know, uh, maybe one day I can get into a position of power and strength and decree that we have the Hawaiian look. Yeah, let's pray that never happens, Rue. Look, it's not going to happen. You know that. <laughs> anyway, my friend, look, uh, it's, it's been great uh, sharing this time with you again on What A Ride. Um, I'm Rupert Guinness, and uh, we've been talking with Aaron S. Lee and our special guest uh, for this week's uh, show, uh, Henrik Redant from Belgium. It's the Tour of Flanders coming up, uh, one of the great, great races in, in world cycling, one of the great sporting events. If you haven't seen it, make sure you do. If you can't get out there to Flanders, get onto the TV, turn it on and watch it. Um, it's on Sunday. It's a thrilling race, and um, it'll just show you everything that's great about cycling. What do you think, Aaron? Last word from you, mate. Uh, just especially in light of, of everything that's happened over the last seven days and, and over the last few years in terms of, of cycling safety, just as a reminder, as we do every show, uh, to keep it rubber side down and just enjoy the ride. I couldn't have said it better, Aaron. You've just been listening to What a Ride with Rupert Guinness and Aaron S. Lee. And remember, because Aaron forgot to say it, but a metre matters.
know 